Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm Mischievous Marchinocchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but the annuals do not count. Well, welcome everybody to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. I may add a new word in there, Mark, this time. Convoluted history (laughs) of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider-Talk. Yeah, if you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider-Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, And sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. So this is the perfect time to start listening because, hey, we're ending something and pretty soon we'll be starting something new on the show, Dan. So perfect time. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mark, we're going to talk about what we're reviewing today. And if you are a fan of Mark mispronouncing names... This is the one to tune in for because, <laughs> oh boy, we've we've got a recap here for you. I, I, I hope I don't let anyone down here. So yes, Dan, today on the show, you and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 74, entitled What Co- What Costs Victory? I almost call that West Coast Victory, which probably would have made just as much sense. <laughs> Even the English part you're having trouble with. I know, right? And this issue was written by Nick Spencer, the final Nick Spencer issue. With Christos Gage and pencils by Marcelo Ferreira, Mark Bagley, Zay Carlos, Dio Neves, Carlos Gomez, Ivan Fiorelli, and Umberto Ramos. Inks by Wayne Foucher and Marcelo Ferreira, Andrew Hennessy, and Andy Owens, Zay Carlos, Dio Neves, Carlos Gomez, Ivan Fiorella, and Vic- Victor Olazaba. The colors are by Andrew Crossley, Edgar Delgado, and Alex Sinclair. The letters are by VCs Joe Caramanga. There's a special page by J.M. Demetrius, Sal Buscema, and Bob Sharon, and a cover by Patrick Gleason and Alejandro Sanchez. Dan, I think I did pretty good there. I'm proud of you, Mark. Of course, I didn't even include anybody involved in the backup stories. I wanted to spare you, so consider this my gift to you, Mark. Much obliged. Well, Dan, this issue was first released on September 29th, 2021. Like I said earlier, it is the last Nick Spencer issue, the end of the run, the end of an era or error, however you want to see it. Uh, Dan, why don't we get right into it first by talking a little bit about what we should be looking for in an end of a run. <laughs> What's new? Maybe he took a week off because he had the flu, but probably not because his friend thinks he tried to true. 
Yeah, well, I mean, th- this is an interesting question to ask on like a Spider-Man show because I think, you know, Spider-Man doesn't quite have like the track record of, say, like Daredevil, where, you know, the ending of Daredevil runs have like a pretty established pattern, which is make Daredevil's life as much of hell as possible so that the next writer has to pick up the pieces. And it's kind of an ongoing inside joke in the world of like Daredevil comics writers. But Spider-Man's runs, like I, I, I say, correct me if I'm wrong here, Mark, I feel like they never end where like both parties are happy for them to end, except for like the absolute rare time. Like I, I'm guessing the only one I can really think of where someone left the book of their own accord and like on peace with the editors and got to do a real like solid send off of like a main amazing Spider-Man run. It's like Dan slot. Is that, is that a fair thing to say? That really might be it, Dan, because, you know, like not, not, not to bore people with history here, but you know, prior to Dan slot, you had brand new day, which was kind of tricky anyway, just because you had, you know, like, like who, who has claim to that run per se. And then prior to that, you had, J.M. Straczynski, which ended on very bad terms, which before that was Mackie Byrne, which ended on bad terms <laughs> before that was like the, the second DeFalco run. I mean, you know, like we and on and on and on and the Clone Saga and the, you know, David Michelinie, which ended on bad terms <laughs> and and Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends, which ended on bad terms and Roger Stern, who just kind of left his, his story in the middle of it. I don't know. Jerry Conway. Jerry Conway's ended kind of the way he wanted it, I would say. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, but but, he, but even he had trouble because they requested him bring back Gwen Stacy, and that was kind of his hail mary pass at the end. So even that wasn't really on his terms. True, true. But it it it, it felt like an ending to me. You know what I mean? Like it felt like you know he, he he was able to bring back a lot of elements that he had been working towards over the course of his run, which which is I think what we want to try and get at here, right, Dan? Which is like. You know, idealistically, at the end of a run, like, you know, certainly one that goes on for three or four years like this one has, you know, you you, you kind of want to see all of the threads get tied up that were brought up. And, and, you know, like there were threads that, you know, were introduced in the very first issue of Nick Spencer's run, which, you know, certainly got played back throughout the course of this run. But, you know, as we'll get into a little later, we're not paid off in this issue here for sure. It's not even so much about like leaving a mess for the next creator to 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 clean up, but like you know, like you 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 go back to like what Dan Slott did in seven hundred or eight hundred. Sorry, <laughs> I'm losing track of of centennial issues that Dan Slott did since he did so many of them. He really did just kind of put a bow on everything in terms of like he certainly put I felt all the toys back in the box so that you know Nick Spencer or whoever followed him could kind of have a clean slate to, to do some new stuff with Spider-Man. And that's kind of what we thought we were getting here. So I, I don't know, but, but what, what, what are some of your thoughts about where, where we should be like on a final issue of a creative run? Well, I think like regardless of what the creator does, one of the kind of standard things that happens run to run, whether it be Spider-Man or anywhere else is, you know, oftentimes the storylines or supporting cast characters introduced in a major run, often get kind of like put down by, you know, future creators, you know, it's like all the minor things that were introduced kind of tend to get forgotten, you know, like I, there, there are so many like college students that Peter has met 
over the years that one writer would write a lot about, like I would say like Bill Mantlo introduced all the grad student characters that we just really haven't seen much of since. I, so I think it's good practice, like you said, to put the toys away, you know, which is to like clean up dangling things so that, you know, the next person gets a bit of a clean slate and can take the story in the direction that they want to go, you know, like barring a few things that continue. Like I actually thought that like Nick Spencer did a really good job uh, in issue one, as we've commented on the show, I think we, we gave that issue like an A, A plus kind of like picked up what Dan Slott was doing, took it a little bit of a different direction, but like, you know, left some of the characters like horizon labs and stuff alone, but kept the core cast going. So I'm, I'm always looking for like uh, things that felt important to the run to kind of come to a conclusion. Like my, my goal, maybe it's, even if it's not the writer's goal, I always like to see when people get to kind of like conclude ideas that are introduced, you know, like I, I, I like the original person whose, whose idea it was to get to make the statement they wanted to make. And whether that's true or not, in this case, it's not, it's hard for me to really determine, you know, we'll get into our thoughts on it, but that's the thing I like to see is like, okay, did, did all the ideas get to be kind of like wrapped up in the end? Or was this kind of more of an abrupt, look, this run is just over and we're moving on. You know, we've speculated about it for a while now. And, you know, there were, there've been some early reports that, you know, not that they're conflicting, but I, I feel are inconclusive about whether or not this was truly the the way Nick Spencer meant to end his story. I think one thing that does seem to be emerging is, you know, obviously with with Spencer going to Substack, there 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 was definitely some abbreviations to how he went about wrapping up this arc. Like, you know, I I don't know exactly how much longer he wanted to go. I mean, there was there's talk that he was going to keep this going for another year, which uh, yeah, you know, like a part of me almost just doesn't want to believe that because, I mean, you know, our biggest complaint certainly over the last year or so has been like this thing has dragged on long enough in terms of the kindred saga, the kindred of it all, as we like to say. So it's like, you know, the idea of dragging that out another year to me sounds like slow water torture, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it wouldn't have been quite so condensed as we've been getting over the past, like, 20 some issues and we have kind of speculated about this even at the time it was like you know there was definitely something odd about the pacing where all of a sudden it was like okay we got last last remains and then we're going to do this story and then we're going to tie it up in a giant size and tie up these two stories in giant sizes i mean like they were clearly like it, it kind of felt like a a runaway train here that they were trying to just kind of keep going and then, you know, have it slam into a brick wall, which is kind of where we ended up here. <laughs> you know, like, but again, like this is this is the first wave of like the postmortem analysis. You know, I frankly the, the the person we have not really heard from from yet on any of this is the horse's mouth himself, which is Spencer. And, you know, I gotta be honest with you, Dan, I don't expect we're gonna hear much from him anytime soon because he's got Substack to 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 promote now. So I you know, like is he gonna wanna look backwards about Spider Man when he's got new new ventures ahead of him? So this might be something, frankly, that we really don't get answers to for for quite some time. And I think we kinda have to just deal with that, even though we're kind of like, This doesn't make sense. We need answers. <laughs> I'm foaming at the mouth for those answers, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, you know, let the dust settle, let some the the emotions come down a little bit, and you know, maybe we'll get a kind of more sober recounting of of what it is we're getting. 
there have been reporting and anonymous sources that suggest also that like, you know, one of the things that when I read this issue and we'll get to talking about it is like, for me, this issue felt like a real compromise, like that Spencer had left. And then this was a company that was trying to kind of save face and scramble to put a bunch of stuff together uh, for this issue. But like these anonymous sources suggest that no, actually this is the plot that wasn't sacrificed. It was more the execution that was compromised, which like, if that's true, like good for Spencer, like I'm, I'm glad he got to see his vision through in what, whatever fashion. I don't know how much I, I believe that based on reading the comic. It's like practical evidence in front of me suggests otherwise, you know, uh, m- maybe that was the case. And, and like you said, it'll come out eventually. I would say just to, you know, to put my own bow on the whole speculation thing is, yeah, I mean, these anonymous sources and stuff like, you know, I, and I'm not trying to stir the pot here, Dan, but like you better believe that any anything that's kind of coming out anonymously right now, I would believe is like Marvel's editorial team, whether that's the spider office or even higher editorial levels. And I mean, not that they are lying but it's like you know they 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 have their own interests to protect in in leaking certain things especially when it comes to you know the integrity of a creator who is now going off on his own like creative independent venture here about whether or not he got to tell the story he wanted to tell and 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 you know this is not me trying to defend spencer because i I, i'm probably of the two of us much harder on him than you are dan in terms of you know what i kind of attribute and, and hold him responsible for over the last few years of this run. But, you know, like, you know, I, I'm just saying, like, he, until until Spencer gives the postmortem interview, which will happen at some point, I, I just, you know, I, I, I can't fully just accept what we're seeing as 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 fact. That's as like total fact, indisputable fact. That's all that this ended on good terms or whatever, like is weird because like you read the book, there's no like goodbye note from Spencer. There's no, I mean, there's been no letter pages for as far as I can remember, you know, of the blurbs in the back writing positively about like the contributors to this run, Nick Spencer gets like the least amount of thanks. And like, I'm not saying that that's like a, you know, a, a backhanded jab, but, but it is, it is weird to see that going on. Like, who knows? But again, I just find it weird that there's no like goodbye letter from Nick Spencer in here, which suggests to me like someone was rushing out the door. Do we want to talk a little bit about the Slack here, Dan? Yeah. Yeah, Mark. Why don't you uh, take us into uh, the Slack here? So hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join And you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Like I always say, I I hang out in the Slack all the time. And this week was a hotbed for stuff. Everybody discussing this final issue. It was also a great week to be there because uh, we created a new channel for a reading club, which allows people to kind of like come up with reading things that they want to do together. And so there's a whole group of people that are going to be reading the Stern Run together and talking about it to keep up with our seasonal episodes or maybe because Mark you and I haven't done a seasonal episode in a while they just need something else to keep them entertained yeah come come hang out in the slack talk stern talk whatever you want um read alongside our listeners and uh yeah it's a lot of fun so if you want to join this awesome spider-man community 
Just follow the link in the description or the episode notes and be sure to say hi once you join and let us know what you thought of, of this review episode or anything that we've done. We would love to hear from you guys. Here we are. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this. We're talking Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 74. We've hinted a little bit about our, our opinions of it. Mark, let's get into our overall thoughts because, I, you know, I think there's some beat for beats we're going to want to go through. But, you know, th- this is a big thinker of, of an issue in some ways, like in terms of like where it sits, both in this run and Spider-Man continuity and how we feel about comics. So take it away, Mark. What do you think of number 74 after number 73? <laughs> you know, I think my my comment immediately after finishing reading this comic was, man, what a weird three years it's been. Because that's kind of just like, that's where it left me. That was just generally the emotion, like like kind of throwing my hands up, a little bit of resignation. I mean, like I, I, what's what's funny is as a comic, in you know, in a vacuum, I guess, like reading, reading, the reading experience of this comic, I found to be more enjoyable than the last several issues of this series. You know, like, like I, I, I don't even know what it. I, well, I, I actually know what it is. I mean, like, it, it's a lot of this comic, and, and like, I don't want to make it sound like I'm like this huge Dan Slot fanboy because. You know, people who've been following the show long enough know that I'm not. But like from a tone and just like the way the story was kind of laid out, it kind of felt like a dance lock comic, which makes sense because Christos Gage came in to write parts of it, which is, you know, Christos Gage has long been like kind of like the slot pinch hitter during his run there. So like, you know, there's there's a lot of similarities in terms of how they approach the story. I mean, not that this was completely devoid of, of Spencer, but like it just... After so much like really convoluted, head scratching style narrative structure over the last several months, this felt very like straightforward. Like, first we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this. And it's like, okay, I can at least follow this in a, in a, in a manageable way. And I know what's happening. And I, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that it's tying things up in any kind of elegant way because it's not or it doesn't necessarily mean that I enjoy the events themselves like wow this is I I really feel that this is in character or I feel like this is what I wanted out of the story because it wasn't but at least like at least it was easy to follow easy to comprehend and in its own way even though it was a extra sized issue I kind of felt it was over quick (laughs) does that make sense yeah, I just didn't think it was particularly clever, right? Like like Nick Spencer, when I read his books, I'm like, this guy is clever, whether it's being successful or not, you know? For the most part, I would say relatively unsuccessful for me over this course of this run. But this one was like devoid of Spencer's monologuing, I think both good and bad, for you know, for good and bad. Like, I think this issue is kind of like really light on like, solid character moments or mo- character motivations or emotion. It, 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 it was just fine. You know, it was like, it's a fine ending to a complete mess of an arc, you know? So like of the arc, like, you know, a plus for this arc, you know? So like, I, I don't know what scale that is, but I thought it was like overall, I mean, just a flat out terrible ending to this run and the kindred saga. But also like totally in keeping with the Kindred Saga, which has kind of been a mess 
for as long as I can remember. Right, but I just didn't feel like as emotionally hostile to this comic as I did the last one, uh, or the last two, frankly. Like, I think because it wasn't clever, <laughs> that was the case. Like, I, you know, not, not for nothing, like, I was kind of sick and tired of Nick Spencer's cleverness because I think he overdid it and, and he overextended himself and, and made it, made a laughable joke of what Spider Man comics should be. So this was just kind of like, Okay, I mean, like like you said, it, it it was very paint by numbers, very tell don't show in every sense of the word. Nothing had any depth to it. it, it, it I mean, you know, it, it it just kind of read like, you know, it read like reading a, a a movie script, like you know, like just reading like reading the words on the page. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there there was no life to it. <laughs> um, so it, it was just kind of like, OK, I can read it at least and not feel myself like getting white hot with rage. I, that rage is a bad is a strong term. I wasn't I, I never felt rage, but just I wasn't I mean, like there were just some reveals in the in these last two issues that I just feel are like were just really terribly done. <laughs> this 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 was not the case. But the same token, like as we've alluded to already, like this this comic paid off almost nothing from the last three years. I still don't know how I'm going to rate this thing. <laughs> let's, see where, <laughs> let's see where this conversation goes, Dan, because like it's it's I almost feel like it's an incomplete because it's like, what what is this? It doesn't doesn't tie anything up. It just kind of ends, you know, like and, you know, I didn't hate it because there was nothing really to hate, but there was nothing to like either. <laughs> For me, like this comic had so much higher expectations than any of the ones previous. You know, there was still opportunity to bail us out here or like come up with interesting motivations behind things. But I feel like this comic kind of fails on both sides of that equation. I think it both betrays the clues or the information we've received up to this point and complicates some of it. Like I could go through a whole another one of those things I did last episode where I summarized the new timeline here. It's complicated even further to a point that I don't even know if I, if I spent hours, I could ever understand what occurred in the complications of this issue. So not only that, like I, I think it both betrays a lot of those clues and then pays off nothing as well. Like by also ignoring like large parts of this story, we get no conclusion to the core question at the heart of the past 75 issues, which is, or I guess 74, or however many you want to get, 100 probably issues, which is like, what does Kindred want with Spider-Man? And the answer is nothing. We don't know. Like, I don't yeah. even know if Kindred knew it was directing itself at Spider-Man. And it makes no sense. Like this to me was... Hey, if if we're going to do that insane stuff from the previous issue, fine. But it better move us towards something where we can understand, like, this is the conclusion. This is what we were after. If it takes you pulling clones out of your butt, fine. But then we got here and it was like, why did we need to go on that journey if we're not going to do anything at all? Like, and we'll get to it. But the final page of this comic really angered me. It's literally right where we started this run at and it's presented like it's this grand revelation and it's like what frustrating thing we just spent three years getting nowhere. To me, the biggest slap in the face in all of this is, you know, like when when 
Kindred was first introduced, I mean, he him or he, she, whatever, the character themselves, you know, even kind of said, you know, it's not who I, it's not who I am, it's what I want. And then, you know, when it was initially revealed to be Harry Osborne and, you know, Spencer gave like that one interview in the middle of his run before Last Remains. And, you know, he kind of reiterated that point. It's not it's not who I it's not who Kindred is. It's what Kindred wants. And you're like, OK, so like. Like you said, like at some point you need to say what the bleep this Kindred want. And and, you know, and and frankly, the last few issues, it just it, it had nothing to do with what Kindred wanted. It, it, it actually went back to who Kindred was because it was a swerve. It was, oh, it's the it's the Gabriel and and Sarah Stacy twins. What a what a swerve. And it's not even that it's them, but it's their their demonic clone versions. I, I still, you know, like, like, like what actually are they? <laughs> I don't so, when We don't even know who Gabriel Stacy is a clone of. Is it Norman? Is it Harry? Like, who is this dude? Like you literally like built this entire character on on you know like trying to discover their motivations that that was going to be the reveal and and you never did it and like I, I like like I don't you know like you could talk about this run being truncated and Spencer Substack blah 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 but like you got to be able to pull the trigger on that and if you can't you know either something went horribly wrong editorial or they never he you know. There was never a motivation, you know. This was all just, you know, supposed to pay off as a swerve, which to me is just mind-numbingly dumb, <laughs> for lack of a better phrase. I mean, I think that's a huge swerve, right? It undermines the entire run, and there's no good answer for it. But for me, like doing a one more day tease and redirect is total garbage. I don't really know how else to put it because. Like you and I are less precious about the MJ stuff than than the average Spider-Man comic reader, I would dare say. But both of us are like, okay, I see merit in maybe undoing one more day to some degree, you know, like whether it's acknowledging that it happened and allowing these characters to move forward or whatever. And we've praised Spencer for playing with fire before, but I actually think that this is like doing it this way was manipulative and wrong towards readers. Also, it like makes a lot of the clues leading to this issue into outright lies. Like, why have Doctor Strange go to Mephisto and be like, what's wrong with Peter Parker's soul if it's going to be about Harry's soul, right? And I just don't think that there's a way to like Obi-Wan Kenobi this and say like, well, from a certain point of view, right? The book was talking to Mephisto about Peter's soul. We saw images from (laughs) like back in black and brand new day, like peppered throughout. You can't tell me this was only about sin past and Harry Osborn. We had, there was way more about Peter and MJ, including the first issue, which kicked this whole thing off. So like it was going to be about Harry. This series needed to be a lot more about Harry than it was. It was clearly about one more day and to like, pull a switcheroo and pretend none of that was part of it, including this proposal, which we'll talk about later. I don't know. It's like playing with fire and burning your own house down. Why ever get invested in something that like that again? Let's be clear here, Dan. I mean, like, it's not just like, oh, well, what what was referencing one more day? It's not just Peter and MJ or even Mephisto and, and Dr. Strange and Peter soul. I mean, like they were a literal like like 
homages or 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 panels from one more day put into this comic over the last couple of years you know like to 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 show the connections you know like we were going back there and mining this this so like you know what was the whole point of seeing harry's resurrection or 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 seeing peter and mj together before the deal is i mean you know like it, it it just boggles the mind that they would bring all this up and then be like eh, no, no that's not what we were gonna do i mean like you know like I, I, you know, there, there there were a couple of people on Twitter that you know were saying, oh, you know, it's it's got to be more than than just dealing with sins past. Like you know, clearly it's g- gonna go deeper than that. And it's like, no, it was just we we retconned sins past. Congratulations, that's what the last three years got us. <laughs> I mean, we've been talking, you know, especially in our previous episode, we've been talking about this kind of like tribalism in Spider-Man fans in comics. The funny thing is. The very people I saw defending this run because it would ultimately undo one more day when it didn't undo one more day were still the same people that were defending this run. And maybe that makes them like intellectually honest in some way. But to me, it just seems like, oh, well, now I really can't change my I I, I made my bed. I've got a lot lay in it. You know, it was never clearly never intended to do that unless the editors forced him to back out of it at the last minute which like also seems highly likely, but then why even like green light this or move in this direction in the first place? It just seems needlessly cruel to people. I'm not even going to talk about whether it's cruel to people or people's feelings, emotions about it. I mean, like it's just, it's just bad execution all around, whether it was a troll or not. It's like, you know, like, you just wasted everybody's time. Like I, 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 I don't care. I, I'm on the. I'll say it again. I don't care about the. I don't care about the marriage, Dan. I don't. I'm over it. Like it's happened. How many years ago now? Like, like, you know, if they never reference it again, it, I'd be for the better of it. But like, you know, like, why spend all this time not to remotely pay it off in any kind of way, good or bad? You know, <laughs> like it's just, it's just so dumb. Like, what, what, why are you wasting everybody's time? Like, what is accomplished by any of this besides just wait, by you know, wasting page counts? Like, what is the legacy of this story going to be at the end of the day? Like, what, like, what are we supposed to look back and feel like this is what it did to Spider-Man's character? Like, hey, you could hate one more day, but at least it did something. It did something at least, you know, like there's a legacy to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So let's get into some of the meat of the actual story here. And I actually think like your point just now is a great way to like kind of like make the transition and talking about like the actual events of the issue, because like this brings up Spectacular 200 immediately. Like the first page is that final silent, beautiful page from Sal Buscema from Spectacular 200. And you see Harry's kind of noble death. And like, then we transition to Harry burning in hell. You know, now I guess facilitated by Mephisto owning his soul. And it's like, I guess that this is thematically logical. And, and Mephisto brings it up. He's like, look, man, did you come clean? about clone, you know, making LMDs of his parents and all of this stuff. And now the addition of like making kindred babies or however you want to describe it. And it's like, yeah, good point, Mephisto. Like, yeah, Harry's noble death wasn't actually noble. He was still ashamed and lying to his friend. 
And I get that that's like canonically accurate, but to me, it just felt gross because it was like, Hey, like let Harry have his noble death. Like, but now we can't even let the character have that. We've got to undermine it because there was a, a story where this like goblin influenced AI created these LMDs. Like I had forgotten that story. I mean, like not really, but like the more important story was the beautiful moment of Harry's noble death at the end of 200. And it's the kind of thing of like flattening the curve of like what stories count to like all stories count. But in some ways, like some stories are more emotionally true than other stories. Like I can forget sins past because it's not emotionally true to me, but spectacular 200 is emotionally true to me. And then to start this comic by going like, Oh, the emotional truth you felt about that comic is actually wrong. It feels like it's tainting that comic, a comic I love. And maybe that's me being like overprotective of it, but it just felt like, uh, like if you're going to do that, man, you better have a really good story. And this isn't it. It cuts both ways with Spencer and his like, continuity mining obsessions of the last three years because you know like we 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 talked about it and frankly a rant of mine from several months ago was brought back up about this you know like that that spencer seems to be like looking to resolve questions that no one actually was asking him to be resolved and and this is a this is a key one right here like you said like Harry Osborne's ending in Spectacular 200 was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. Like what there was there was no addendum needed. And yes, I know several months later in a story in Amazing Spider-Man, I think it was 389 or whatever it was with by David Michelinie that we go back to, you know, a, the birth of AI Harry <laughs> and you know that he he plotted this thing all along. But like any other kind of reference to Harry Osborne and the legacy of that character always comes back to that moment in 200. And it's like, you know, Spencer kind of, you know, again, to tie into his own story here, but also, you know, like he, he kind of has to twist the knife a bit to be like, yeah, you had that noble death, but you know, you never, you never owned up to this, that, and the other thing that you did. And it's like, who cares? Like, just shut up. No one wants to hear about this right now. Like, no one. If, if you're going to retcon Spectacular 200, why not just retcon AI Harry instead? And, and like, have that be like a construct of Mephisto or whatever you want to do instead of going like, no, actually 200, like, wasn't as noble as you thought. It just, it's like, it, it, it it's like elevating bad stories and destroying the good ones. But this is this is this is what this is what we've been getting consistently, you know, for the for the last several years. It's this like, you know, in in ways big and small. And it's just going back and, and answering a question that no one asked, I think is kind of my way of putting it. It's just it's it's mind boggling. It does it doesn't even make any sense. Like, why did Mephisto go after Harry's soul? Like, he says, like, oh no, it was all to get at Peter. How? Like, draw the line for me between what owning Harry Osborne's soul and owning the soul of Peter's marriage. Like, how are those connected? Draw that line for me because I can't. Like, it just seems like a like a catch all. You know, like uh, Mephisto, Mephisto, just inject him into everything. Like, I cannot make that connection. 
How are those related? If they are, it is the most circuitous, you know, like path. You know, he's a 4D chess player. And I guess, okay, whatever. He's the devil. Maybe he is. But it, it, to me, I can't follow it. And so therefore, I'm like, it's nonsense. So anyway, <laughs> Kindred shows up and it's two Kindreds. So we finally can understand why the costuming has been inconsistent on Kindred all along. Right, Dan? Well, it's funny because, um, you know, Ron Friends did one of the covers to the variant covers to this issue. So I like messaged him and I was like, look, Ron, I know you didn't do the coloring on the issue, but like, were there any notes that you received that happened to include coloring notes? Because Kindred's costume has been inconsistent as long as the character has been around. I'm actually like, I think it was more just for me. It was like less of a curiosity more than it was like, hey, like what truly what color is this guy's costume? And it may have been inspired by like that old theory that I used to throw around that Kindred costume was based off of like Peter and MJ's first kiss, which clearly I guess it wasn't like, I don't know what Kindred's costume is based off of. Why is he bandaged? Maybe to hide an identity. I don't know. Like just wear a mask. I, I, I don't know. Okay, fine. Weird costume design whether it was meant to be that or not, or maybe that's one of the stories we lost along the way. But Ron wrote back to me and was like, no, I didn't get any notes on the coloring. Sorry to, to tell you this. And it was funny to see like the coloring actually be something after all. So I guess like one point in, in Nick Spencer's column, like that, that fooled me a little bit. Like I thought it was just an inconsistency. The, the, the whole kindred of it. I mean, two kindreds. I, I don't know what this, what this does. I don't know. Like to me, like it kind of cheapens, frankly, all of the earlier stories involving Kindred because, you know, Kindred goes from being this kind of almost immortal like being, you know, demonic being into like, oh, it's just two two characters who are clones, I guess. I I don't know. Like it, it, it doesn't add anything to the to the to the mystique of the character. It just kind of detracts from it. So anyway, what is what does Doctor Strange have to say about any of this? Oh, yeah. Doctor Strange, you know, he's still wagering as he's been for 20 some issues for what we thought would be the soul of of Peter Parker, but is ultimately Harry Osborn's soul. And to me, this was like such a cheat. Like I, like seeing this panel made me outraged because it's like. Like, how can you do that? I Like red herrings are one thing. I felt like this was. I don't know. I mean, we've talked about it already. I just thought this was a real cheat. And like, especially considering the Harry Osborne thing was set up, what, two issues prior, we found out about all of this. So it's like, it could have just been invented out of nowhere. And and this is where I get into like editorial stuff is like, all of this feels like it was going in one direction and they said no and changed their mind. And so last remains had to be completely ignored and that's how we got here. So speaking of Harry, we 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 find out officially, although it was you know kind of spelled out last issue that Harry Lyman is not Harry Osborn resurrected, but rather a clone. We don't know why he was cloned or when he was cloned, but clones because it's the Spider-Man mythology. So I guess that's we can just be okay with that. And he has a a tearful goodbye. Uh, to, at, with Liz Allen and Normie 
but not his genetic son, Stanley, <laughs> who is nowhere to be found, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what is going on with Stanley or like, who is Stanley now? Like, is he a child of a, a clone? I mean, I guess it would still just be like Norman or Harry Osborne's son. I mean, like this book outright forgets that Stan- Stanley Osborne exists or really what um, Normie Osborne looks like, because it, like in my mind, it looked like it was Dylan Brock laying in Normie's bed. <laughs> in this issue. I was like, wait a minute. Like what? Like it's so odd. And then also like, he and Carly are in like the, the lab standing over like Harry Osborne's rotting corpse. And then they seemingly just kind of like go upstairs. Like are, is Liz living above the New York city crime lab? Like, wh- like what is the geography of this place? I, I can't figure it out for the life of me. And we finally get the reveal of like what, what that goblin glider was like. I mean, it's exactly what we thought it was. He was using it to protect his family if he had to. So at least that got circled back to. And then we get like, you know, the Spider 3 uh, homage and, you know, Harry <laughs> gets on the glider and goes to goes to f- hang out with his buddy. But in, in the interim, Spider-Man's fighting the two kindreds. But, you know, and I, I got to ask, Dan, I mean, like, isn't this the same character that like killed and resurrected Spidey like 50 times over a few months ago? So, like, why isn't this fight over in like one page? <laughs> Yeah, I don't get it. Like uh, two is greater than one and one killed him dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And that didn't seem which is to which like, we never get explained. Right. I mean, like, I mean, you know, like, again, do you want to no prize it? I mean, maybe it was Mysterio playing a trick. You know what I mean? But like we don't even get the effort. And like, I mean, so we are, are supposed to accept that as canon, I guess, that these characters actually did this to him. Is that is that how you're supposed to take it, Dan? I, I honestly have no idea. You know, what, but what gets even weirder in this issue is that, like, Harry then explains to Spider-Man who they are. Like, he's explaining that it's Sarah and Gabe. How he knows this, I'm not entirely clear. And then Spider-Man says, yeah, somehow I always knew. And it's like, yeah, sure you did, <laughs> Spider-Man. And, and, and Luke also knew that Leia was his sister when they when they swapped spit. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. But to me, one of the most infuriating things in this issue, and I cannot wrap my head around it, is that like then Norman explains to these clones, which we've already been told are not the Sarah and Gabe that we met back in since past. They are like a new version of that. Right. But somehow they have memories of their since past versions that were raised by Norman Osborn. And there, and then Norman has to explain to them again, which is something I guess that like, cause like those, the previous Sarah and Gabe learned that like that Norman Osborne was their father, not Peter Parker. Right. So these ones retain that memory for some reason uh, of those characters. I can't explain to you why, because th- this book went out of the way to show them buried. And I don't know who was burying them. Like who was burying these rejected clones? Like computer <laughs> Harry? How did that work out? Maybe Mendelstrom was doing it, um, even though Mendelstrom was in Europe all, at the time. Anyway, it's a whole other thing. But like then Norman has to like explain to them both their history and that they are clones of they're, they're like got Harry Osborne in their brains 
and uh, they're under the influence of Mephisto. And it's like, wait a minute, in the previous issue, it was suggested that it was Harry inside their brains. And here they're just Sarah and Gabe again. They're not actually Harry. Like this kindred character doesn't even know its own origin. How is it seeking revenge or like doing all these things when it doesn't even know what it is itself? I don't even know if I'm making even sense right now talking about it. <laughs> There's a lot of that going around tonight, Dan. I think it's I think we're both kind of grasping at straws. None of none of this makes sense in a tangible way, uh, you know, like and and like you said, contradicts itself from issues earlier like, you know, if you're going if you're going to come up with some wacky swerve, at least be consistent about it. This of course leads to, you know, Peter and Harry teaming up against the kindreds which leads to uh tr- the the issue's big tragic death and what did you think you seem to have strong feelings about this dan so why, why don't you get into the the death scene here i found the death of harry osborne or harry lyman in this issue infuriating like absolutely beyond infuriating one because i mean just on a simple like storytelling perspective like you have norman osborne finally stripped of his green goblin personality to being like ostensibly a good guy, as he claims, although he, here he kind of admits that he was never good. He sold his son, sold the devil even before he went insane. Right. But like, here's his moment to actually have some, like do something good and like have some come up. And so if you're going to kill someone, have Norman jump in front of Kindred and save Harry and, and die. And, like allow Harry to be redeemed or something and, and Norman be redeemed. Like why, why do that other than the fact that you want to keep telling Norman stories sometime in the future. But like, I mean, first of all, just kill Norman already. Like I'm done reading Norman Osborn stories. Like, you know, we've had enough of this character, I think over the years of Spider-Man and it's so convoluted at this point. It's like, I, I don't even need Norman Osborn in my life anymore, but like, to me, this was also kind of like erasure of just how awful Norman Osborn is as a guy. Like, I don't even have to rattle off like Norman sins or um, the inconsistent Norman sins o- over the years. Right. Like it's it's this like desire to give him like a noble moment. Like, whereas like we have an actual character like Harry Lyman who over the Dan Slot run when, and and Brand New Day went on this whole journey, like to like free himself of the Osborne legacy and make himself into a person and start his own f- family. And he like earned himself a part of like this living cast of Spider-Man characters. He was really fleshed out, but nope, we're just gonna kill him just because it's gonna make a dramatic moment here. Kill him for of all people, Norman Osborne, like this character that likely had good stories in his future, one of Peter's close friends. I don't know. If this whole chapter of Spider-Man was about undoing since past and dealing with Harry Osborn, I think it should have been about, you know, maybe about Harry Osborn throughout the run, right? Like, it's, it's like this complete hollow moment for a book that's not been interested in this character at all and seems only intent on killing him and destroying his reputation. And it just didn't work for me. And I think actively makes all of these characters worse and less interesting. And then on top of that, 
if he was truly a clone, wouldn't he have dissolved? Like Ben Riley did. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And, and, and obviously, like, you know, by the way, that like, you know, in addition to paying homage to Norman's death in 122, it also, you know, the, the scene here pays homage to Ben Riley's death in Peter Parker, you know, adjectiveless Spider-Man 75. I don't know if I'm as infuriated as you are, but like I, I will add that, you know, yet again, this is something we've seen a few times from Spencer over the course of this run, which is kind of like, you know, like I, I think of like the Gibbon story uh, during Hunted. It's like, you know, we're bringing characters around and trying to have these emotional moments just for the sheer sake of killing them. You know, like because like like you said, like what purpose did this version of Harry serve over the course of this run. He didn't, he didn't. I mean, he was mostly sidelined. And then, you know, when he was finally brought into it, it was like, you know, as a prisoner in some random basement with Carly Cooper, <laughs> who we, who doesn't also get a resolution either. So you kind of just go, you know, it's like you said, it's just, it's just a cheap ploy to make a dramatic moment. But like, yeah, if you want to have a dramatic moment, you, you actually have to build a character. I mean, you know, Boomerang could have had the dramatic moment, but instead they kill him off in, you know, a, a random moment in uh, a miniseries connected to the book. So, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, so there's someone that you actually built up and over the course of this arc and, and don't don't give him the noble moment that you could have. But, you know, certainly you try and go for it here with Harry Lyman, but like it's unearned because you, you didn't put any of the work in prior to this. So there you go. <laughs> I'm also going to make a case like, if, if Harry was going to jump and save Norman, at the very least, have him shout lookout so I can have that victory of, of calling for the lookout <laughs> moment. <sighs> so, you know, after all this goes down, Spidey turns the tables and like beats them all in a rage. And I actually thought the art in this moment was pretty cool watching him like kick the crap out of the kindreds and stuff, even if it's like narratively inconsistent. There's this weird moment where he feels responsible for like Harry's death and like takes a break from the battle to stand over his body. But ultimately, Kindred brings down the Osborne mansion on top of Spider-Man's head, which we've an image we've seen a million times before. And to me, like of all the emotional moments in this book, this one I thought was the most interesting. What do you think of this moment? I was not terribly interested by it. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. Like, like you said, I mean, I feel like we've we've gotten this homage before and frankly i also found it to be kind of visually confusing in terms of of exactly what was happening and and who was who was being buried and who wasn't to me i kind of looked at it like oh, we're going for the asm 33 cheap cheap buzz again but i i don't know maybe i was being very cynical by this point in the comic <laughs> For me, what I liked about it was it's like you're expecting him to get back up again and then he doesn't. And then like it's dumb that MJ was like, oh, well, I just dove out of the way of the building rim. I, I liked that. Like, at least it's like, oh, no, he has a partner in this and she's going to pull him out. And that to me felt consistent, at least character wise with MJ, who has been kind of built up in a number of key moments in this run as being like Spider-Man's equal in some ways. So in that regard, I was like, oh, that's neat. You know, like they're going to let MJ shoulder some of the weight and thematically. All right. I, I, I'll buy that a little bit. It, it was nice to have that moment where MJ gets to not be the damsel in distress and actually help Peter. I, I shouldn't I, I'm not trying to dismiss that. I just mean, 
you know, the whole and then like, you know, the aha moment with with Doctor Strange being like, I never said who my champion was. It's and I don't know. Like to me, it just it was fine. Like, you know, you you alluded to it. Like, I don't quite understand how MJ didn't get crushed under everything, too. But hey, you know, like you said, I, I, I do like her being presented as as more than just, you know, the girlfriend for sure. But don't worry, I couldn't get too excited about this comic because the next page, Kindred is just dying dead for no particular reason. Like, I guess Mephisto thought he won, so he just snapped his fingers and allowed the Kindreds to die. So they just age up all of a sudden, and that's it. Kindred is dead, Mark. Did that feel satisfying to you? No, of course not. I mean, that was utterly ridiculous. I mean, it was like, you know, like like a timer rang and it was like, oh, nope, Turkey's done and Kindred's dead. I, I you know, like it, it made zero sense. And, you know, like I feel like you're no prizing it well enough by saying, oh, Mephisto must have thought he won. I mean, to me, it was just kind of like, oh, it just how coincidental that they just happened to hit their age limit at this exact moment. <laughs> I don't know. Like it just. Yeah, it just seemed- yeah exactly. Completely, completely unearned and bizarre and, you know, like, oh, so that's that's how this ends, huh? (laughs) After all this. (laughs) And then ignoring every Norman Osborn flashback we've ever gotten from from Harry's childhood, Norman decides to cry over Harry's corpse that he was actually the child that he wanted all along. And isn't that nice? but also completely inconsistent with the depiction of Norman we've gotten for the whole history of the character. So fun. Good. You know what? If there's one takeaway from this comic that makes me feel good, at least Norman Osborn got redeemed, you know, like that's a character that I felt has needed to be redeemed for so long, Mark. Which is just so weird because it's like, you know, when you think back to it, you know, the last run ended with like Norman, Basically, you know, with amnesia in a, in, a, in a coma of sorts, because that was, you know, basically the only way they could deal with him after becoming the Red Goblin. And now, you know, we, 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 we have some kind of like magic voodoo from Sin Eater that has transformed Norman into kind of a simpering wimp that allows him to be redeemed. I, I you know, but like, you know, we all know if this whatever happened, you know, whatever spell has been cast on him ever gets reversed or negated it's he's going to go back to the sociopath he's always been so like it's it's all for naught right (laughs) right exactly but at least harry died uh or got a noble death this time yeah so then we get to what i think is one of the more baffling sections of this book which is we have dr strange discussing this fight with mephisto yeah, and I was, I'm going to say right now, Dan, you know, kind of going back to our whole tribalism thing that I think, you know, the people that really loved this story or this run, I think this is probably going to be the part of the comic that, that really spoke to them. But yeah, I, I, I agree also in the general assessment that it was pretty baffling, but describe it. <laughs> so Doctor Strange asked Mephisto, like, so why did you want to go after Peter Parker all this time? Which I think is kind of a gross mischaracterization of what's been going on in this book, because like it doesn't really seem like Peter Parker is his main target. It seems more like it was the Osborns, but okay. So it, it turns out that Mephisto has actually, you know, since he is the God that he is, has seen all of time, including his own destruction 
at the hands of what we first see is Peter Parker. But really, it's as Doctor Strange pushes back, it's not actually about that. Because he has the soul of the marriage, it's really the resultant daughter that he's trying to keep from preventing. The, the very girl that we saw in One More Day that says, I won't exist, you know, if you're not together. And you could guess if that's like Annie. Here it looks like it's May Day, but like May is their first child that they lost in, in childbirth or however you want to describe it. So I'm, I'm not really sure how, how you would categorize that. So anyway, he needed their, their, their marriage, which I think the intent by Spencer here is it like gives motivations to Mephisto's actions during one more day. But for me, I felt like one, this is set up in no way in, in this book. Like it just feels like there's like a thing that's pulled out of nowhere and also, like, I don't really feel like I needed more justification for Mephisto's actions in One More Day. It seemed like something the devil would want, you know? Like, and I don't need Peter and Mephisto tied together, like, inextricably linked to each other for all time. It's just not a character I want to ever appear in a Spider-Man comic. And now it seems, like, inevitable that these two are locked together for all time. You know, because when I think of the world of the the world of the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, you know, what I think about is his arch nemesis, the devil, <laughs> you know, the Lord of Hades, because that's that's what's being set up here is that, you know, like you said, that these two are going to be linked for all time because, you know, this this character of immense power meets his end through the hands of Peter Parker. I I, I mean, like. You know, whatever. It's it's for people that are fans of the marriage and Mayday or or Annie or whatever. You know, whoever you think it is under the mask there, and this and you know Peter and MJ having a child. I'm sure this moment was utterly thrilling. But like, what are we actually accomplishing here? What are the long term gains of try of tying Peter to Mephisto? I I I, I don't. I don't get it, you know, like this is this is a guy that fought, you know, criminals and mask and Doc Ock and Electro. And now we're, you know, we're doing, you know, we're, we're dealing with like the cosmic realm here. I, I, I don't know. Like to me, this is just reaching for the character in a way that it doesn't need to be reached for. And hey, like Mephisto is the devil. Like, hasn't he heard of extramarital sex or children <laughs> and children out of wedlock? Like. He's the devil. Like, this dude knows about screwed up stuff. Not that that's even screwed up. That's a fairly common thing. Like, stealing their marriage, I don't think it really prevents it. Like, just, you know, use one of those centipedes to give Peter a vasectomy. I don't know what it needs to happen. If that, if that you know, th this takes the radioactive sperm to, like, a whole other level, Mark. Like, his radioactive <laughs> sperm is the end of Mephisto. All right. Well, this, this does bring us to, you know, the return of Umberto Ramos to do this splashy splash page of Peter and MJ kissing on top of the Empire State Building. Their spot, of course, does seem to be missing a few other details in terms of Peter and MJ, most notably the proposal that has been hinted about for, what, two and a half years now, Dan? <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Like, so this is like, you know, I think the whole idea is it's like a bookend moment, right? Like this opened with the scene from them before one more day. And now we're back here. Right. 
And maybe there's some implications that I'm missing out on here. Like maybe they're allowed to get married now. I don't know why that would be the case. Like it seems to me like Mephisto still came out the victor here. Like that that still is occurring. I don't know. Like, like how do you go down this road without re-encountering the Mephisto stuff given how inextricably linked they've made it? Like Spencer has tied their hands to Mephisto and moments like this show it because even just a simple kiss after this in this grand style seems to suggest something that the page hasn't actually like paid off. Right. It's a, it's a beautiful looking image, but like it, the, the meaning is totally vague and unclear. And if it is the end of one more day, no work has been done to get us there. But then it's like by the very fact that there's not a proposal going on right here, like this was the moment to do it. You end your run on Peter getting down on one knee and doing it. And maybe they'll do it in 75 before he goes into a coma or whatever. But like, I can't imagine that this series was not intended to be ended on a proposal. Like to me, this felt like a redo. It felt like they had original artwork and they brought in Humberto Ramos for two pages and he like redid it and removed the proposal or something like that. Now that's the all speculation on my part because they probably really just brought him in because they're like, Oh, we'll give us a beautiful final page because we couldn't get Humberto to do the rest of this comic. At least he can do the final pages, but it, it felt like it was a total, like it played chicken and it just like swerved at the last minute. So Dan, why don't, why don't we roll through some of the, other dangling unresolved threads of this storyline. Let's 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 move briskly here because there's several of them and I don't want I don't want us to languish too much on this. So <laughs> first up, we already talked about this. Let's just take turns here, Mark. So Stanley Osborne, does this character exist? If so, who is he? Is Liz raising him now? We all really care about Stanley <laughs> Osborne in, in in this on this podcast. He we are we are stand stands. Um, the other question, you know, that kind of came up earlier in part of Sinister War Two was, you know, the lizard being, you know, splitting himself into two personalities. You know, the, the you know the Kirk Connors and and the the lizard beast. Um, we didn't really come back to that in a meaningful way. I mean, just kind of, you know, so I, you know, maybe that'll come up and beyond. I don't know, but certainly not here. <laughs> Far be it for the lizard to have a status quo that everybody ignores <laughs> because th- that is the history of that character. I mean, the big lingering question is what were Peter's sins? Will we ever find out what Peter's sins were in the eyes of Kindred? I, I doubt it. I-, I mean, again, as we keep saying, like Kindred's ha- hatred seemed to be more for Norman. So I like, why was Peter even involved in the first place? <laughs> like, just I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. I mean, you know, this is a little less consequential to spider history, but, you know, we did have a comic that almost ended, you know, all of Marvel publishing because of the start of the coronavirus. But whatever happened to Gog? (laughs) (laughs) They've just got a monster pet. Why not? I mean, and and, and now he and now he's missing Fred. He's missing Fred Myers. So, I mean, like Gog is really without direction now. Absolutely. And that's what we're all concerned about here. We've also got the return of the rose, which I mean, not much of a dangling thread, like someone else can pick it up or, or, or leave it. But it did seem like 
so much pomp and circumstance was paid to getting us to this point to then not do anything with it seemed kind of strange to me. I mean, to me, this feels like, frankly, something that, you know, if you want to talk about the truncated Spencer run and if he had more time, what would have happened? I feel like this is a story we would have gotten, frankly. As we mentioned, we we got nothing with the proposal. So, you know, it's either going to come up and beyond or it's going to be buried forever. If it's the latter, I shudder to see what it's going to happen on social media. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not we haven't even talked about the cover of this comic, which like looks as much like a like a marriage cover as seeing them on the altar. You know, like uh, so the proposal on the one more day of, of it all. Like, there's also like, why was there a clone of Harry? I guess we're never going to find out why there was a clone of Harry. I'm sure we could no prize it, but that seems like a pretty big thing to just brush under the rug. Well, on a related topic, like we never found out why Harry knew that Norman would be alive before he concocted this whole thing. You know, reading the solicits for this issue, it promised that Jonah and Aunt May would show up. And I'm guessing like things had to be scuttled. So we didn't really get the resolution to whatever their storyline was. If you, if you remember keenly, Mark, there was like, a romance between Carly and Overdrive, which got forgotten. <laughs> and we had Ned Leeds with the goblin powers that didn't go anywhere. And, and Betty Brandt's pregnancy. <laughs> so there you go, folks. There you go. There's still a lot of stuff to get. I mean, like maybe more promise for future storylines. But like, I don't know. I mean, I don't think dangling threads are inherently bad. But like, there's so many of them in this run that like just scream for follow-up so maybe that gives them more like stories to tell in the future but to me i was like man this really got truncated like it just is evident that this was meant to go longer so what'd you think of some of these backups they were okay i mean like so you know we had this christos gauge one where it was kind of like you know uncle ben still helping people after his death you know it was you know, this 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 man coming to visit Ben at his grave. And, you know, like, you know, it turns out like back in the day, this guy was like a mean, mean drunk that Ben confronted. But, you know, Ben, you know, through Ben's death, he kind of convinced himself to make his life right. And, you know, I, I, I it, it was a it was a typical sweet be evergreen B story. Does that sound like what what you would probably find in a a mid eighties annual issue, but I mean, it it was fine. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, again, I don't know if this is ever going to get brought up again, but you know, it was, it was fine. (laughs) I I liked it because, um, you know, it showed Ben having the kind of same moral hangups as Peter, where it's like, he's sacrificing his family to help other people out. And, I don't know. It kind of in a way like felt like it was a way to let Peter off the hook a little bit. It's like, Oh, like don't beat yourself up so much about this because the very guy that gave you your mantra about responsibility also uh, struggled with, with handling this. And in some ways I felt like it was kind of an emotionally mature evolution, like uh, comparing this to like, no one dies where Peter was like, nobody will die on my watch. Here it's like, you know what? You do the best you can and you, you're not perfect. And it's the kind of mature evolution for the character that I kind of wish we would see not in a backup, like one that allowed Peter to like come to grips with like not being perfect 
isn't a reason to like be a martyr. You know what I mean? As an adult who's not perfect and is often doing things that sacrifice my family for, I mean, like say like doing a podcast every Sunday night, it was nice to like see something like handle the, that like kind of emotionally mature way. I, I felt at least. Okay. I'll, I'll give you that. So then the, the other backup we got was this tease for beyond involving Ben Riley getting now, now Dan, this, this, this had me, this had me working here. So, so who, who is this character that, that Ben gets out of jail? Yeah, this is Janine Godby, who also goes by Elizabeth Tyne. She's basically like Ben's Mary Jane, because even a clone of Spider-Man likes the redheads. She was a major character in the Lost Years storyline. That's that's kind of what I thought it was. But I was like, oh, man, like they're they're making me think back to the mid 90s already and JMD stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she for a long time was kind of like dodging the police. But by the end of like all the clone saga stuff, she had surrendered to the police for the murder of her father. You know, like w- whether you blame her for that or not. So, I mean, I think for fans of Ben Riley, this was probably very emotionally satisfying to see this character and him reconnected. Although she's clearly being used as a way to manipulate Ben into working for Beyond which obviously has like not good intentions. It seems just right from the get go. And, you know, we're going to have some gaslighting kind of, kind of going on here. You know, I think this is fine, but I also kind of felt like, Oh God, are we going into another run that just mines really deep continuity without really explaining it for the average reader who knows little to nothing about all of this? Like, I'm like, Oh, you know, we just got done with a run that was like basically just a, like a list of bragging about how much Spider-Man lore the writer knew. And I'm like, Oh, like, can we just get stories that you don't have to be well-versed in like insane, obscure nineties Spider-Man bloat, you know, like I like this character, Janine. And I think there may be a way that introduced her back into this book in a more like reader friendly way. But if you've never read the lost years or like, the obscure corners of the clone saga. And we've both read that. And like, you know, like it's not immediately on my fingertips or I guess the tip of my tongue or whatever. Like, I I don't know. To me, it was like, okay, cool. And there's some interesting like twisting of the knife here, but like cut us some slack, like do some of the work (laughs) for us. Now we did get some info about the longevity of beyond, right, Dan? Yeah, it seems like it's only going to be for six months. And so if it's like three issues a month, it seems like we're going to get like 18 prime issues, if you will, of Amazing Spider-Man, which would get us up to what, like 893 or something like that. So get us close to 100, which would leave like one arc between the the end of Beyond and, and 900. I mean, to me, it seems like that's a pretty like smooth like tra- transition uh, to get us into like 900, which might launch a new era or be a big moment for Spider-Man coinciding with, you know, 60 years of Spider-Man and all of that stuff. So like, I think there's some big plans. And to me, it's like, it, this kind of confirmed what we all uh, figured, which was like, this is just a short term stop gap with rotating writers and artists so that they could lock in a new creative team rather than this being like a real truly long form 
like ongoing. This is what Spider-Man comics are like Ben Riley and a whole stable of, of creatives. Is that what you kind of long speculated, Mark? Part of me thought, frankly, that they would maybe do beyond through 900, but you know, like if they're going to cut it short before then I'm fine with that too. It's becoming abundantly clear that, you know, Spencer's departure was really unplanned. <laughs> so they're doing the best they can to, to bridge to bridge the gap here. We'll, we'll, we'll see what the long-term plan is. Uh, so I'm sure, you know, like you said, this is for six months. We'll probably, I would say in three to four months, know what the long-term plan is. But, you know, until then, we'll, we'll you know, hopefully these are some fun stories and, and not too deep in continuity. I suspect that this was kind of, like the re people are asking like, well, why Ben Riley? Like, I don't really want to read Ben Riley. And my suspect is just like, they're like, we need to do it about anybody, but Peter, because like, we don't know what the direction for this character is or like what this next writer wants to do. So we need to provide them as clean a slate as we can. And so let's just point the attention somewhere else for a little while as we figure out like what we want to do with this character. Now that it's been kind of sprung on us, that our main writer is leaving instead of having the amount of time we thought we had. And so they have to kind of scramble and put together the teams. And, you know, to me, it seems like beyond is probably already fully plotted out. Like they know what they're doing for those six months. And so maybe it allows that team to spend the six months coming up with a long form story and getting ahead on artwork. So you could hit the ground running when we get out of beyond and, and get the team together that they want. I mean, we still don't know. I mean, if I'm going to just truly speculate here, Mark, we don't know what JRJR is doing at Marvel yet, right? He's not announced on any book other than writing issue 600 of Fantastic Four, right? I don't think it would be too unsafe a guess to think that maybe JRJR is being put back onto this book in quiet and we'll find out in a few months. That's like, that's me rampantly speculating with nothing to back it up other than the fact that I'm like, what the hell is you got JRJR back? What are you having him do? And the book that seems like the most unclear in its future is Spider-Man. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm putting two and two together and I think it's making four. All right, Dan, magic question here. Do you have a grade for this magnum opus here? Oh, boy. Because it's better than the last two issues, I'm giving it like a a solid D. Yeah, I think that's where I landed as well. I mean, D for the comic, I'm I, D minus slash F plus for the arc. <laughs> yeah, that seems fair. That seems fair. All right, Mark. Well, uh, it's been fun to talk to you about this. I hope listeners, you guys enjoyed this long conversation, but, and Mark and I do plan on like doing a bit of a retrospective on Spencer's run overall. Although you could just listen to all of our episodes about it if you truly wanted to. But like we're going to unpack this thing a little bit and give our final thoughts on it and where it fits into Spider-Man history in some way with a little bit of time. But we don't want to kind of go into that hot, you know, like it's nice to give it a little bit of breathing room to sit before we kind of like declare it one thing or the other. But in the meantime, if you find this show entertaining and valuable, please consider supporting us. Recommend Amazing Spider Talk to a friend. And if you're able, why not become a member of our Patreon? Patreon. 
Yeah, we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe this show's success to every single one of them, and we are constantly making exclusive content for our members. Yeah, why not take $3.99, the price of a new comic, and put it towards a month subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. That way you'll hear our Patreon-exclusive review podcast on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the same week it comes out, instead of waiting for it to arrive in our public broadcasting feed. If you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists, commissioned exclusively for our members. This season, we'll be mailing out a print by artist Ron Friends. He's created a lost page of The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man for Us, which was inked by Brett Breeding, which depicts Tim and Spidey sharing laughs over Tim's Spider-Man comic collection. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. Yeah, but we know this is a hard time for everybody, as it is for us too, so we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But if you have the means, please join our Patreon to support the continued existence of our show. Just follow the link in the description. And again, thank you to all the members who already make this show possible with their donations. It's eternal. We're eternally grateful to you for helping us out. Sounds good, Dan. But alas, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this episode was edited by Rick Coase with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer. And our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider-Match. Uh, this episode, of course, was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence and these reviews while joining us on the live stream, why not head on over to our Patreon and sign up? So, Mark, until you haunt my nightmares and conspire to kill me dozens of different ways, including sending all my mortal enemies after me, killing me and re- reviving me, threatening my ex-wife, sending her out of town to make a movie, turning my friends into demons, and reviving a shotgun-wielding psychopath, all before forgetting why you wanted to do all of that in the first place. What's our motto? (laughs) Well, Dan, our motto, of course, is, with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't don't miss the next episode.